0: If you think that this whole constellation I'm describing to you now, maybe without the Rivada aspect, was designed in 2014 by German engineers. So this was really way, way ahead of its time. Back then, the technology didn't even exist.
1: Hey, Space Watchers. This is Space Cafe Radio, your channel about trends, great people, and awesome conferences. That is another episode of our ILA 2022 special series. ILA is the International Airshow in Berlin and it took place end of June 2022. I'm Thorsten, publisher of Global. My guest is Severin Meister of Rivada Space Networks and we spoke about his ambitions and why his constellation is one of the moon shorts we see in our sector. Enjoy our conversation. Can you tell us what the Rivada Space Networks is supposed to do or what this network is? Yes, pleasure
0: to be here. Thank you. The network that Rivada Space Networks is about to build is based on a Liechtenstein filing. And we plan to bring 600 satellites into orbit, making us the smallest mega constellation. And we are designed to bring internet, but bring a network connecting any two dots across the globe directly without any gateways. This means that our satellites are all connected with laser connections, and we basically have two user terminals being directly connected to each other, not a user terminal going to a satellite, going to a gateway, going to the internet, going somewhere and then reaching its destination. And that's the big difference between us and the other networks. That's
1: interesting. 600 satellites on one stage sounds, of course, a lot. On the other side, comparing it with Starling or so, it does not sound a lot at all. So tell us more about the birds, the size, the, the orbits.
0: The final design we don't have yet because we're currently discussing with all of the big satellite primes and they all have different solutions that also reflect in somewhat different size. But our orbit is 1,050 kilometers, whereas the Starlink orbit is 500 kilometers. This means we have double the height, which makes for a much larger coverage area on the globe. And this also means that our satellites are going to serve more customers, but also our total capacity for individual customers is much, much smaller than it is for Starlink, which is why we go after small, high-value customers and not over a mass market. So we are never going to be a B2C network. We're always going to be B2B and then have resellers that add value to whatever they can do with a high-quality beam we provide to them, and they will add values to that and sell it on the globe.
1: So it's purely a communication network, no Earth observation, no space data, no whatever you can collect from sensors. It's pure communication. Yes, that's exactly right.
0: We only do communication, highly secure, very fast for high-value targets.
1: That's interesting to hear that you will not build the satellites by your own, so you give it to one of the big primes or LSIs or maybe smaller ones, but you hand it over to someone to build it on your behalf, Correct. That's exactly correct. We don't want to reinvent the wheel. We think that our network
0: by itself is innovative enough, having this gateway-less infrastructure. And so we put our brain power into network operations, but we don't want to reinvent the wheel when it comes to the satellites. There are people that have the experience. We have a very tight timeframe, and so we need to build on existing solutions. I think it's going to be probably something like a 1.5 version of what's already out there. Because, of course, at the moment with the fast development we have in the industry, there are always new ideas and every new network kind of builds on top of what was built before.
1: Tell us more about your clients. What is the client base you're aiming for? So our customers, as I said, are high
0: value customers, largely. These are people or customers that can actually have need for a large amount of data to be transmitted, that need low latency and that need highly secure connections. Now, a little bit what I want to get to later is the whole Rivada concept, which adds something onto that. But so I guess the bulk of the customers that are most in need of what we can offer are big enterprises, cloud connections, some governmental users that have high security needs, companies that want to connect maybe a whole production site on one continent with a headquarter on another site remote operations for large machines like mining machines and probably on the, on the smaller scale, something like an individual cruise ship. But there again, we are not there to provide pure internet. We would sell user terminals and then somebody can add an internet connection to the other side. What we hope is we inspire entrepreneurs to use our network to buy capacity and then to offer solutions where they would maybe offer an internet dish on the one side and have a country where they connect this connection to the internet on the other side. The specialty about Rivada is that Rivada wants to make capacity kind of a wholesale commodity. And what we want to do is have a marketplace like now exists in electricity markets where capacity is auctioned off and in the end sold to the buyer at whatever price the buyer wants to pay. So if I have all of my satellites up and I have the base load covered, I will probably have capacity available over areas of the globe where there is no big need. But actually, I don't have any cost in producing that capacity. If I don't sell it, it's lost 100%. So I could actually offer that to a customer at a very low price. And so we think that we are going to be able to offer our capacity in regions of Africa, of Asia, on the oceans at actually very low prices, because maybe then with a lower priority and of course, the high paying customer is going to get slightly better service. But we can offer very good connections in areas where these connections do not exist at all. And that at very affordable prices.
1: So, in your network design, it seems that all of these things like quality of service prioritization, or prioritization, our security are built in by design.
0: Yes, this is very important. Also several layers of encryption, so we have our network encryption. the customers are probably going to add their own encryption via the devices, and this is also something where we don't intend to build the user terminals ourselves. We want to offer the connections. We are, of course, going to develop some prototypes so that users have an idea what they can do with our network. But we hope to inspire a whole generation of entrepreneurs that actually built their solution onto our network. And we just provide the connectivity. We sell them the capacity. We auction it off at whatever price they can pay for it. And then we hope that this sparks a market where people yeah, bid and bid higher prices for these connections because they're going to need them and they're going to be able to sell them to other people at even better prices.
1: It sounds interesting. We're doing a number of interviews and talks with people. And what you describe as a core service sounds very much like the proposed secure connectivity or constellation of Europe. Tell us about the status. Where are you? And that it seems that you're far ahead of at least the European market. If you think that this whole constellation
0: I'm describing to you now, maybe without the Rivada aspect, was designed in 2014 by German engineers. So this was really way, way ahead of its time. Back then, the technology didn't even exist. You didn't have the phase array antennas that could do multi-beam forming and could do all of these things to the extent that we needed. So this was really extremely visionary. Even, as you rightly say, even today, this is still a little bit ahead of what's out there. But the technology is there and we can buy the necessary technology on the market to make that work. That's what we are doing right now. So unfortunately, I can't give you the final design because we're still discussing those. But this is something that is happening at the moment. And what concerns Europe, I would say, yes, and we are in discussions there. I think we can offer something that the European Union is looking for. Also, of course, of us being based in Munich and being a European initiative and a European filing do have a lot of things that are going to fit very well with the description of what the European Union is looking for. At the moment, I think, but also for Europe, it's still a little bit early. And even though the European Union, as one of the officials there told me, they're moving with light speed on this initiative, it's still probably slow to other developments that you see in the market. And there are some things there that aren't clearly defined. I think we are going to be able to see a lot more of what the European initiative actually is beginning of next year and then we're going to be able to participate in RFIs and
1: get in there as many others do. I think at the moment on the Secure Connectivity Initiative, there are the two studies that are in place or offered and now we see what will come out of those. But as you rightly said, the European Commission considered it as a light speed project and it's great to see also a few of the officials really are engaged and excited what they do. It's not so often seen. But let's come back to your consolation. I would like to go a bit technically. You mentioned before the satellite-to-satellite connectivity is via lasers, state-of-the-art. How do you touch the ground? Via laser as well or then via RF?
0: No, that's a classic RF downlink. Yes, K K A K U. KU. Yes, KA. Because that's how all the user terminals are built and that's the technology that's available there. This is something where, I guess, where you can think about lasers very far down in the future, but that's at the moment not really feasible. And also for the bandwidth that we are looking for, I don't know maybe 100 megabit or a gigabit, that's something that you can see in terminals that are in existence today or will be available over the next two, three years. Whereas if you talk about moving yeah, laser antennas, something, that's something that I think is a couple more years out and that might be something for the future
1: you mentioned coverage about over the ocean so the system is also designed for Socom on the move I assume? Yes. Okay. And you mentioned phase array antennas on the terminals uh, that sounds pretty cool stuff actually. Yeah.
0: It's, it's fascinating I, have to say, I just got my Starlink terminal and I've been playing around with that <laughs> on the move and i said the technology is amazing. It's something and you've dreamed of for generations and now it's actually available for everybody. Does, does Starlink work on a move? Yes it does. It's, really? it's, 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 I don't know how much one is actually allowed to really talk about that but if you search It on Facebook or something, you find a lot. There are huge groups with 30, 40,000 people in them that use it on boats. And it does work. Many people illegally deactivate the servo engines that would normally balance the phased array. But since the aperture angle is large enough, you can actually mount that flat, deactivate the engines, and then you can use it even on a rocking sailboat. Where, of course, at the moment, Starlink operates a very tight geofencing system that only allows usage close to the coast. Okay. And once in a while, they open it up, and there are actually user communities that try to find a spot on the ocean where Starlink works 100 miles offshore, and they're sailing around and finding that. But there's a big community there.
1: That's pretty cool. When you said geofencing, and uh, you mentioned earlier that your filing is based in, in Liechtenstein, that would be fun to have um, Liechtenstein geofenced. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even being very creative, I struggle to find the use case. <laughs> Where are we? Where are you in the design, in the development, in the deployment, in the, in the build process? What, what is the status? So
0: currently we are in our, or we've completed our RFP phase and we are in discussions with several large primes that have fascinating solutions. And I think over the summer we're going to get closer with them to see which of those solutions are actually best for us. But so it's still yeah, too early to talk about any concrete designs.
1: Okay, flight date? When do we see your first satellites in orbit? We have
0: very strict deadlines there because our filings have a long history and therefore we have our 50% milestone in mid-2026. which means we have to have 300 satellites in space on their position in mid-2026. And then the full constellation deployed with 600 satellites in 2028.
1: Okay, that's sportive.
0: That is very sporty, exactly.
1: We can read a lot about the stress, about the filing, about the Chinese and so on. I assume the status you're in, it's solved. It is in a solving process and you're moving ahead to a new bright future. Is that summarizing correct?
0: That's the perfect summary. Yes, I can't
1: add much there. Okay. Severin, thank you very much for your time and for this interview.
0: It was a pleasure. Thank you.
1: If you want to stay on the pulse of space, visit our website, Our Mothership, at www.spacewatch.com. Dot global and subscribe to our newsletters. Do you know about our other products? Our Space Cafe podcast with Markus Moslechner or our Space Cafe web talk series? No? One more reason to visit our website. And don't forget to become a space watcher. I'm Torsten Krinning, CEO and publisher of SpaceWatch.Global, your independent perspective of space.